morning, everyone. Welcome to church. My name's Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. Great to see you all. So just let me get set up. And while I'm doing that, uh, Roberto, I didn't get a chance to talk to you because I came in from St. Matt's. It'll seem like the slides are up there for a long time. If you leave it, it'll help us all keep track of where we're going. When you read a passage like Acts 16, uh, what does it make you think? What were you thinking as we were reading that passage? Uh, For me, and I think for a lot of people, it kind of makes us go, where is God's power at work today? There's kind of so many crazy and spectacular things that just happen thing after thing after thing. But that's not my experience of this life. Uh, You might be someone who thinks, I know I'm meant to think that God's powerful, but if I'm really honest, I'd say it doesn't really feel like it. I'm not meant to think that he's powerful, but I just don't see it anywhere when I look around. Is that you? That might not be you. You might be someone who doesn't believe in a powerful God at all. If there really was a God who's powerful enough to make the whole universe, surely it'd be obvious to see what he's doing now. And I don't see it. I know a guy who went to a church a lot like ours, and he had a friend visit him at church, and he said, hey... If you really want to see God's power at work today, come with me to my other church. At this church, uh, there seemed to be lots of healings and visions, future predictions and other things that wanted to show his friend, this is God's power at work today. Is that where God's power is? If you haven't experienced those things, are you missing out on God's power? Are you the reason You're missing out on God's power. Where is God's power at work today? The author Luke, as he writes Acts chapter 16, he wants to show us clearly where God's power is on display. So let's get stuck in. Point one, is God's power mainly seen in the extraordinary? Some people read this passage and say, see, God's power on earth is seen when he breaks in. And does incredible things. Just just have a look. We've got four extraordinary things happen one after the other. Uh, The first one's to do with the Spirit. Now just before our passage started, Paul, he'd done a long missionary journey and he made a plan to go back, retrace his steps, to encourage the churches that he had just planted. But have a look at what happens. Have a look at chapter 16, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And that's Asia, the small province, not the continent. And when they'd come up from Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. You go, wow, the Holy Spirit restrained them in some powerful way. It's incredible. Then you get the second extraordinary thing. Have a look at verse 9. Paul gets a vision from God, telling him to go to Macedonia to preach the gospel. Wow. Like, it is extraordinary. Then have a look down at verse 16. Paul meets a slave girl. Now, she's a slave in more than one way. She's a slave to her human masters, but she's also a slave to a demonic spirit. Might not seem that bad when you first read it because the spirit enables her to gain a whole bunch of money through fortune telling. But make no mistake, this is an evil spirit. She's being forced to do something that God says is evil. Throughout the Bible, God denounces and rejects divination and fortune-telling as an evil thing. And after a few days with her, Paul does something extraordinary. Have a look at verse 18. 
Paul turned, to her, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. He performs an exorcism. All the TV shows are made about it. When something powerful happens, this is a powerful thing. Releasing this poor girl from an, uh, an evil spirit. Another extraordinary display of God's power. It's kind of one after the other. It's getting ridiculous at this point. But the spectacular events aren't finished. Paul's freeing of this woman leads to her owners stirring up trouble for Paul and Silas. To the point where they get beaten, stripped, and put in the stocks in prison. But then overnight, something extraordinary happens. Have a look at verse 26. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaking. And immediately, all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. An earthquake, one that's big enough to open up every single door in the prison and make everyone's chains fall off, yet at the same time is precise and careful enough that it didn't hurt anybody. It's crazy. Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Where is God's power at work today? Some people will say God's power is primarily seen in the extraordinary. They'll point to this passage and say, look, this is God's power on full display. And it's helpful, it's helpful and right to recognise that the things that are happening here really happened. There are eyewitness accounts of these amazing things that God did. But there's two problems with the person who sees God's power primarily in the extraordinary. The first problem is it means that God isn't powerful unless he's doing stuff like this. See, in trying to show how powerful God is, it actually makes him far smaller. It limits God to the things that we can't explain. He becomes the God of the gaps. He's only powerful when he does things that we can't explain. And the more things that we learn to explain, the smaller God becomes, do you see? That kind of leads to a second problem, where you will need to see God working in extraordinary ways to give you assurance that God actually is powerful and at work in your life. And so if the extraordinary doesn't happen, where is God? It can lead you to being a little bit gullible, looking for things that aren't necessarily there. Uh, when you read this passage and see that the Spirit stopped Paul going to Asia, uh, you picture a flaming angel turned up, or at least something equally spectacular. But the reality is Luke doesn't tell us. Could have been something incredibly boring. This kind of thinking can lead you to thinking that that feeling you have or that thought that comes to you, it must be a God-given calling. Now that's possible. But it also might just be a thought or a feeling. But for the person desperate to see God in the supernatural, there's not really another option. So where do we see God's power today? Well, there's some problems if we think it's mainly in the extraordinary. And that can then lead us to thinking the opposite at times. We're at point two. You might say that God's power is actually seen only in the ordinary. God doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore. Don't expect too much and you won't be disappointed. We can read the same events and really want to show how it's actually in the ordinary things alone that God is at work. God doesn't do that stuff anymore. God works in the ordinary. So you look at the spirit restraining Paul from going to Asia and Bithynia and the person who needs the extraordinary will say, well, it's something spectacular that stopped Paul. But the person who's keen to show the ordinary will say, 
Well, Paul probably just got a bit sick. See, verse 6, the story is told from the perspective of they. Can you see that? Verse 6, they went and did this. It's them over there. But after Paul gets stopped, it becomes we. Verse 10, we sought to go to Macedonia. Uh, Luke, the author, has now joined the story. Luke is a doctor, and so you say, well, Paul probably just got a run-of-the-mill cold, and that stopped him, and God's in control of that. That's how it all went down. God works in the ordinary, see? Or you look at the vision, you go, that's pretty impressive, sure, but what happens after the vision? Have a look down again at verse 10. They went to Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach there. That word concluding means they actually had to talk together and use wisdom as the kind of people there figured out what it meant and what they were going to do about it. The supernatural vision wasn't alone and it wasn't enough by itself. God actually used the ordinary activity of his people talking together, using wisdom to figure out what they were going to do. On top of that, you'll make it clear that Paul wasn't expecting or waiting for a vision to figure out what to do. He'd already made a plan. He wasn't expecting a vision. He expected God will work in the ordinary. See how it works? We can be drawn into thinking that today God only works in the ordinary. Again, the problem with that is that it dismisses history and limits God. See, God really has done amazing things and he can and does now. To limit God, saying that he used to do extraordinary things now, but he can't do them anymore, gives the impression that God has changed. But one of the fundamental things God tells us about himself is that he is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, God doesn't change. So where is God's power at work today? Primarily in the ordinary? Only in the extraordinary? The reality, of course, is that God is the God of both. If you only see God as powerful in the supernatural things, you'll miss so much of what he's doing. The ordinary activity of you taking your next breath is only possible because God's power is at work, saying breathe. Colossians 1.17 says that this is God's power at work, upholding and sustaining everything in the world. And if you only hold on to God being at work through the ordinary, you're missing that God is all-powerful. These events in Acts really did happen, and he's no less able to do things now. One of the most famous miracles in the Bible is Jesus turning water into wine. It's an amazing thing. But the reality is, it's nothing that God hasn't already been doing for ages. Jesus just did it a little bit faster. See, God sends water. Grows grapes, which then get fermented, and then whatever else you need to do to make wine, the people who know wine out there will be able to tell us. God is at work in both. Not just one or the other, God is at work in the ordinary and in the extraordinary. Now, just before we go on, because there's deeper to go in this passage about God's power at work, I just want to touch on a side point that comes out of the text I think is helpful to deal with. How do you get guidance as a Christian? How do you get guidance? Does the Spirit lead you? Should you wait for a vision? Do you wait for open doors and when you see one of them, that's God saying go through it? How do you do guidance? As a Christian, I've got a couple of key things. I've got five key things in Christian guidance. One, God's word gives you the priority and boundaries. The priority for life is God's kingdom. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom. Matthew 6.33. God's kingdom is the priority for life that shapes life. Making sure you get there 
growing in godliness because you belong there, helping others get there, glorifying the God who rules the kingdom, that is the priority. And so any decision as a Christian is guided by trying to make decisions that maximise those things, because those things are the priority. And God's word gives us clear boundaries as we seek to do that. We don't just do whatever we want. God says the boundaries for doing that are don't sin and do love. If something is sinful or less loving than another option, then Christian guidance would be don't do that. Two, God's word also tells us to ask for wisdom and we'll receive it. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. doesn't say how you'll get wisdom, but if you need wisdom, ask God. The third thing is God's people. God gives us other people filled with the Spirit to speak wisdom into our lives. It is a great blessing to be in a community like this. The thing to note, though, is that believers aren't infallible. The wisdom you get from others is only as useful as the amount to which it reflects God's word. So good wisdom from others will help you think through how to seek God's kingdom and how to love people in the specific details of your life. The fourth thing is we have freedom in Christ. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 9. Jesus sets us free from having to follow strict rules to let us work out for ourselves how to live for the kingdom best. You've got freedom. There's not only one right decision. As long as you're seeking God's kingdom and not sinning, you can choose something and you've got the freedom to go for it. Fifth thing, and lastly, be open to other stuff, but don't expect it because God never promises it. God promises to speak to us in his word He promises to be with us to the end of the age. He promises to give us wisdom. But he doesn't promise other means of guidance. So don't expect it, though it can happen. The thing about visions and feelings of guidance, if you have them, is they always need to be tested against the word. Our thoughts, our feelings, our dreams are fallible. So they need to be tested against the infallible word of God. Because God's word is the thing that we know is definitely from him, a dream may or may not be. So that's a little side point about guidance. But back to the main point. Is God's power at work in the ordinary or the extraordinary? We've seen it's both, but there's a deeper truth. Because when you look at the details in these stories, the crazy events aren't actually what the author is most interested in when it comes to the amazing power of God. If you're focused on those things, well, you're missing out on what Luke's trying to draw your attention to. We're at point four. God's power is chiefly in changing hearts individually and spreading the gospel globally. God works in the ordinary and the extraordinary, but his power is chiefly in changing hearts individually and spreading the gospel globally. Let's have a look. God's power in hearts individually. Chapter 16, verse 12. Paul and Silas rock up in Philippi and they go to a place of prayer by the river. Normally their practice is when they go to a new town, they go find the synagogue, but you need 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue and the law is if you don't have that, you find somewhere to pray by the river. And so Paul and Silas turn up to this place of prayer, find a group of women and they preach the gospel to them. And one of them was a Gentile woman named Lydia. Have a look at verse 14 because this is key. 
the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. Now, at one level, this is completely ordinary. But at the same time, it's also the most extraordinary power of God. See, at one level, people hear logical statements and choose to believe them all the time. It's not out of the ordinary. But at the same time, what God does in her heart is completely extraordinary. In opening her heart to the gospel, God brings this woman from death to life. Her eternal future is changed in that moment. She goes from a certain future of death and hell to the guarantee of eternal life. Now that is power. She goes from perishable to imperishable. She goes from being an unholy person who can't be anywhere near God to being completely made clean, able to live with God forever. It's a completely impossible thing apart from the awesome power of God. Isn't that more powerful by a lot than the Spirit not allowing someone to go to the next town? That the Spirit would come into her heart and give her new life. What incredible power. We move down to verse 27 and we meet the jailer who's in in charge of guarding Paul and the prisoners. The earthquake happens overnight and look at verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. Imagine how horrifying that moment would have been for him. The penalty for escaped prisoners was death. You know the feeling in your stomach when you're about to get in really big trouble? Times that by a hundred million. The situation was so bad, he thought the best thing that could happen would be to fall on his sword. But Paul goes out, don't do that, we're still here. And the jailer's blown away, like the the prison doors are all open and none of the prisoners have left. And God works in his heart and leads him to ask, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If you're here and you're someone who doesn't follow Jesus, it is great that you're here. We love having you here. This question gets to the heart of what God wants to say in the Bible. See, central to the Bible is the fact that all people need saving. And there's really two parts to it. The first is, it implies that you need to be saved from something. And the second, needing to be saved implies that you can't get out of the situation yourself. You need someone to come and save you. The truth that the Bible puts before us is that all of us deserve death and eternity under God's judgment because of sin. To be in heaven with the God who's perfect means we need to be perfect. The problem is we're not. No one's perfect. We're actually sinners. And our sin means we can't be with God. We're cast out from his presence under his judgment, eternal death. It is completely awful. We need saving. And we can't do it ourselves. That's where Jesus comes in. The perfect one who died so we can have life. And the way that his death can become eternal life for you is by believing in him. It's put your trust in him. That's what Paul says, verse 31. He doesn't say, join a religion, try to be a better person. He says, Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. 
And I can tell you, it is by far the best thing ever. If you want to find out more, chuck something on your Connect card, come back to church next week. You want to find out more about this. And this work is exactly what God does in the jailer's heart. He creates this whole crazy situation just so he can work in this guy's heart to save him. The jailer goes from imminent physical death to eternal life on that day. This is God's power at work. The last heart I want to quickly look at that God works powerfully in is Paul and Silas. So if you go back a little bit after they released the slave girl from the evil spirit, remember, the people turn on them. They beat them badly, put them in jail and put them in the stocks. If you picture it, Paul and Silas's backs would have been reduced to a sticky, swollen mass of lacerated skin and dried blood, unable to move in the stocks. It is an ugly sight. If that were me, I'd be wallowing in self-pity, plotting revenge against the people who had unjustly done that to me. But have a look at verse 25. It's incredible. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. What is going on in their hearts that allows them to do that? seems impossible that they would praise God in that moment. This is the power of God in human hearts. See, what's more powerful? A, a tremble in the earth or doing this in a heart that is naturally full of evil? If I wrote all these stories, I'd write in crazy detail about all the things that I thought were the most extraordinary that showed God's power the most. And that's exactly what the author Luke does but he focuses on things that are different to what I would choose. See, Luke spends nine Greek words describing the exorcism. I'd probably give him a little bit more than that. You get 22 Greek words on the earthquake, describing the earthquake. I'd probably go four to ten pages. And then 128 words describing the jailer and his household putting their trust in Jesus. And that doesn't even include Lydia and Paul and Silas and the stacks of other people immediately after who have their hearts changed at the start of chapter 17. Where do you think God wants us to focus when it comes to his power and work in the world? God's power is particularly seen in changing hearts. Praise God. The other significant part of God's powerful work is spreading the gospel globally. We don't have time to go into chapter 17, but what we would see is multiple examples of opposition trying to stop the gospel. But every attempt ends up actually spreading the gospel even further. The gospel can't be stopped. God's power is too great. So what do we do with all this? Two things. First, we need to reorient how we think about God's power. You can grow in confidence that God is powerful and at work today if you look in the right place. God isn't only powerful when he does what we would deem to be impressive. God does heaps of stuff, both the ordinary and the extraordinary, but most significant is his work in changing hearts. You can be confident that God's power is at work today. Let me tell you about last Sunday. Kevin and Tracy invited Ning to church. Ning had visited before, uh, and she came last week. And after the meeting, uh, 
Kevin was chatting to Ning over morning tea and Ning asked, how do I become a believer in God? Does that sound familiar? Kevin brought Tracy over and they talked about how Jesus died for her sins and if you want to believe in Jesus, all you need to do is talk to God about it. And last Sunday, Ning put her trust in Jesus. Over morning tea. Yeah, you a little something in that. Like, it's incredible. That is the power of God at work right here last week. You can also look into your own life to see God's power. God saved you if you trust Jesus. God is changing your heart to be more and more like him every time you put off sin and become a little bit more like Jesus. If you struggle with doubt, doubting that God's there or that God is at work in the world, this should give you great and incredible comfort. You can see God's power all around here if you look in the right place. You might just need to reorient what you're looking for. The second thing is God's power gives us great confidence as we tell our friends about Jesus. Doing the unawkwarding Jesus course in growth groups, if you're part of a growth group, has been great. We want to grow in our confidence and our skills in telling friends about Jesus. We want to be less awkward. That's a good thing. But the best help and confidence we can have is knowing that it's God who works in people's hearts. If God is so powerful that he created the entire universe with a word, what chance does your friend have if he chooses to work in their heart? No chance. That'll be his. God's power gives us great confidence. And so where is God's power at work today? Where would you look if you wanted to see it? Is God powerful at all? God's power is at work in all of life, in the ordinary and the extraordinary. But most significantly, he powerfully changes hearts, bringing people from death to life. How amazing is that? Praise God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are incredibly thankful that you care enough about us and our world, that you would be intimately involved. You continue to uphold and sustain the the world by your powerful word, and you are at work in our lives, you are at work in our hearts, you are at work powerfully bringing people from death to life. Because of you, the gospel can't be stopped. Because of you, people are continually being brought into your kingdom. Father, help us not to help us in our doubt to see you and your power, see your work in this world. Thank you that you're working in this place regularly. We pray that we might be part of that work. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.